let's uh, let's kick it off. Uh, and uh, Brandon, I think uh, I think you're I think you're improvising. All right, let's let's do it. <laughs> That's about as improv as it comes. That's amazing. <laughs> I have to do a clap in. And <laughs> a five, four. Yeah, see, see, listen to the professionals. Like, I mean, they got all these signals and stuff. I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, for question number one um, uh, will be for Michelle, and it will be, "What is the clapping?" But first, let me let me say, why are we here tonight? We are here for the game seminar, enhancing role play with improv. And tonight we have uh, Michelle uh, joining us with an actual improv uh, background. And we have Alpha, who is well known for his, uh, his his voices and characterizations, especially in the gold and glory world, as well as others. And we have joining us tonight, improvising, is uh, Avray Brangler Brandon himself, who is actually improving to be a panelist for us uh, for us this evening. So, uh, Brandon, you are fully on the spot here, but. Um, that's not to say that you aren't all on the spot anyway. We're, I expect this to be a, an interesting, exciting session for KW Gamers. As you know, we run these events uh, quite frequently throughout the pandemic. And there are questions. And if you're on our Discord, you can put your, your questions into the, into the uh, GM seminar questions and go to the seminar chat if you'd like to carry on and just chat about what has come up in the session so far. And if you do see a question that you like, please give it a thumbs up. Uh, I will give priority to the questions that seem to have more interest, more takers. And we'll try to get to all of them, but can't promise for sure that, uh, that we will. But um, hey, we'll improvise. <laughs> so I think without further ado, uh, I think we're just going to dive in. Um, but maybe we could just uh, start with... Um, Maybe it would be nice to have a bit of uh, your improv background. We could start to let Alpha, uh, I heard you giggle. I'm going to put you on the spot. Let's go to Alpha first. If you could just tell us a little bit about what your um, improv background is. Just to give I am happy to, to give you, to tell you about my improv background because my improv background is absolutely zilch. I have no formal <laughs> training. I've got none, no classes. I don't know what a clap-in is. I don't know any of that stuff. Um, I think why I came to this one, it was sort of like, oh, Alpha, you, you, you know, do okay when, when you're improving and stuff like that, Yeah, you know, during a session. Uh, and I, I, you know, I guess I'm I'm, I'm flattered by that uh, characterization. But yeah, I mean, definitely it just comes through uh, role playing and my love for the medium. And I am also a very enthusiastic GM. And, uh, you know, it's kind of getting into character, getting into role, understanding the world that I'm, you know, building and stuff like that. That kind of, you know, gives me what I need to be able to improv. But I wish mm-hmm. I could say I've got some, you know, special tricks and, and, and background, but I, I don't. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. We 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 know you for your uh, for your characterization, um, and we'll get more into that about where that comes from as we go through the questions. Uh, Brandon, can you tell us? Do you have actual improv experience, or you would you say your experience is more like Alpha's? I'm probably going to be in the middle here. Um, so I have a lot of training on improvising in terms of playing jazz mm. so introducing music just seeing some chords and having to riff on it um i was a drummer i was a bass player so lots of like okay here's seven chords for the whole song make something interesting happen in the background or do a solo or whatever so i have a lot of that um but in terms of the talking speaking acting piece i uh in, in the musicals and plays that I've been in, uh, it has very much been, okay, give me the book and I will memorize my lines. Uh, there was very little improv. Um, I think my experience as a dad of a <laughs> eight-year-old probably there has you more go. improvisation than anything. That's yeah. so real life that example right there. Okay, excellent. Yeah. Well, I think this will be interesting uh, as, as we go through to get different perspectives. And Michelle, could you tell us a little bit about uh, your improv experience? Yeah, um, my improv experience uh, is greater than my D&D 
experience. I <laughs> started doing improv just casually, just for fun. Started grade seven is when I really fell in love with it. Uh, did it whenever I could throughout high school. Um, and then I started doing it regularly when I got into university uh, with the UW Improv Club. And we've even been continuing to do it online through Discord, which um, you know maybe we'll get into later. But um, <laughs> I think a lot of the... Uh, I think music's an, an interesting kind of analogy there because I think a lot of those founding principles are going to be really similar mm-hmm. in terms of how that affects play. Yeah, no, that that is that is actually pretty interesting. Yeah, um, but I started doing D and D more regularly as a way to substitute for improv because you can't do it as much online. It doesn't work the same um, over Discord. Right. Uh, I think I feel like we should dive into that as as well. Um, uh, but first, I want to go back to that clap-in, and then I'm going to go through some of the questions that we have here, and we're going to pick up a couple other a couple other things that you've just said here, and that uh, Brandon and Elf have talked about as well. So, uh, because I don't want to lose sight of this clapping in, because you said it, and I was like, uh, <laughs> I'm clapping. What is this? Oh, is okay. it like uh, wrestling? That was about yeah, this. it's fine. It's fine. Um, it's not something you have to do. It's not like a fundamental tenant of improv. But like we come up with these little bits of language. It's kind of like the improv equivalent of how do you want to do this, where we just come ah. up with these little bits mm. of language to uh, communicate something really quickly. So for improv, you clap in to signal that you're starting a scene. Uh, ah. and so everyone in the scene will clap in and you'll go five, four, Three, two, one, improv, and start the scene. Oh my okay, god! Totally, totally using that. Totally using that. <laughs> and not everyone does it. It's just uh, that UW Improv Club uses it, um, and some troops I think use it. But people just start and then you go. <laughs> I'm such a rank amateur. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's. Uh, yeah, that's that's so so interesting. Uh, I just see a few questions in our in our list here, so we'll go through these. And um, if anyone has a question, an additional question that they would like to add to the list, please post it in the Discord under GM Questions. Uh, if we don't fill up with questions, then I think that there's still lots that we can discuss if we get to, you know, explore some of these uh, ideas that are surfacing while we're talking. So the first question I want to ask uh, on our list here uh, comes from our uh, refurbished uh, Doombot, uh, Gavin. What's the most important thing to know about improv as it applies to RPGs? And since Brandon is improving completely here, I'm going to throw that one first to you. Excellent. Um, I do have more to say about improv as a GM because I despise prep. Uh, <laughs> so I I, uh, I can riff off of very that. much a a student of the um, lazy dungeon master. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I uh, follow the tenets of the Lazy Dungeon Master, where you prep only what you know for sure your your uh, players will see, um, to the point that you don't even place things in particular locations in general. You're like, I would definitely want them to see this creature or have this encounter or meet this person. And then as they are exploring the world, if you're like, okay, I'm pretty sure they're going to go here, that's where I'm going to drop it. Or, oh, they're going to go talk to this person. Awesome. Who is this person? Um, and most of my improv, I have to say, uh, it's very much inspired by characters, creatures, things that I have seen, read about, um, played, seen played, etc. So most of the time, my notes for something like an NPC is not a big backstory. It's not anything like that. It's like, uh, you know, Sean Connery from The Rock with a limp or something uh-huh. like that. Uh-huh. So it'll be very much like here's a characterization, here's a voice. In you know, I can I can think about what kind of mannerisms they might have. Um, I can describe them based on that look, and mm-hmm. then I can I kind of just go from that. Um, I'm really I'm I'm not one to like write out dialogue to plan what's going to be said, and oftentimes I've had to in in uh, particularly in some of my ongoing campaigns. I'm taking probably more notes than my players because I'm like, oh, I said that. I have to make sure that I remember that I said that. Um, because I have, I do so little prep, right? I have kind of broad strokes, but mm-hmm. it's very kind of off the cuff. And then half the time I'm like, okay, you guys summarize what happened last session. And then that tells me what you remember that I actually have to make sure I include in future sessions. Mm-hmm. Go. 
And and what about you, Alpha? Like you, I I know um, I I know I've put you on the spot a few times. I think we've um, many of us have put you on the spot in our in our Golden Glory uh, campaign. And you do a lot of improv um, with your characters in the game. Uh, how would you uh, How would you um, approach this question? Yeah. What's the most so. Important thing about improv? Uh, and, and it's interesting, Brandon, to kind of hear your take on, you know, prep and, and sort of the minimalist approach. And and I have to admit, I, I, I think I'm somewhere in the middle there, but just because of, you know, lack of time and, and, and other things like I, I, too, very much get into those uh, situations where, you know, I, I'm definitely not writing out dialogue. I am not writing scenes. I don't have, you know, some sort of, you know, like decision tree or anything like that. I Like you, I've got the broad brushstrokes. And what I will say is where things work for me uh, best is when they're in my own head. Right. And, and so obviously, because I'm, I'm I've done some world building of my own um, and I'm only prepping, you know, just the immediate area. But I have a much bigger picture in my mind of what is going on overall, what the master plot is and, you know, who are the different players in it and what that gives me. It gives me grounding to be able to understand the motivations of different people that are in it. And, you know, sometimes you're operating on a micro level, other times you're operating in a, on a macro level. But I definitely have been in those scenarios where, you know, completely went off the rails as to where I thought people would go. And, you know, somebody wanted to go on a date. And so I had to take them to the mansion, <laughs> like all this kind of stuff. Right. And yeah. those are I, I will admit those are the funnest part about DMing. Like as much as, you know, I want to be prepped and I want to kind of be able to be prepared in that moment. It is really fun when you ha are completely just flying by the seat of your pants. <clears throat> so there we have a, a perspective of two GMs. And what about what about yourself, Michelle? From um, I think speaking more from a player's perspective, uh, what would you say is the most mm, important? Yeah, thing more, about more from a player's part? perspective. Am mm -hmm. I am I allowed to swear on here? <laughs> uh, keep it light. <laughs> <laughs> gonna say that because I'm a player typically I don't prepare um Jack you know um <laughs> that doesn't mean I don't prepare anything I don't think of like what to do next session um but I definitely don't need to think of like build the world as much I think something important for players to know is you'll probably hear this over and over if you do improv is the rule of yes and it's a really mm. simple way of saying it but it basically means if somebody gives you something accept it mm. and that doesn't mean you have to accept it in character but it means somebody's given you like a plot hook or tried to start a conversation run with it if a player um character like it indicates that their character is uh, like wants to steal some gold. React to that in any way. <laughs> well, any way that's not completely catastrophic. Um, <laughs> you know, we'll get to barriers later. Um, or if a DM gives you a plot hook and it's like, well, my my player or my character wouldn't take on this quest. That doesn't mean that you have to like take the nuclear op option and like burn it you can still do something with that plot hook like really cliche example if a townsperson comes to you and is like oh the princess has been uh, captured by a dragon you don't have to go res rescue the princess but like you could still go check that out and try and slay the dragon or um hire a band of mercenaries to do it for you i don't know <laughs> um the point is don't ignore what people are giving you I think that's excellent advice, and I actually I've noticed just from even watching improv that when I when I've witnessed someone bring something to the table and it was kind of just cast aside, it was less interesting to me to watch because mm -hmm. it's it's it is such a uh, it's it's such a you know such a collaborative effort, and I guess that's you know that's what and we're doing in the game. And it also certainly doesn't feel good if you've brought an idea onto the stage, mm -hmm. even if it's not the strongest idea, mm -hmm. it feels pretty awful for someone to just throw it aside like it's garbage even if it's a weak idea or a fairly generic idea 
that doesn't mean it doesn't have potential. You can still add on to it and create mm-hmm. something really insane from it. So, Michelle, uh, as this is the next question, it seems like natural to ask, what are the things to be avoided while improving? Um, boundaries is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes you can talk about it beforehand. Um, some people don't like role-playing, because improv is a kind of role-playing, and some people don't like role-playing certain scenes or behavior um if you're in person some people don't like to be touched some people will absolutely <laughs> i haven't seen it happen but some people well except for maybe on whose line um but some people will absolutely kiss each other on stage it's that's probably something to be worked out beforehand and then the other thing is um and we've probably all heard these horror stories of people being like oh but my character would do this when mm-hmm. they just behave really awfully mm-hmm. Um, I'd steer away from like blatantly showing anything that, you know, like a reasonable person could be really weirded out by or distressed by. <laughs> like, Yeah. Or even treating another character in a way that, that would, that might draw that out. Like yeah. A negative you never reaction. want. It's not like it's not like character conflict never happens, mm-hmm, but it should mm-hmm. never translate to player, player. conflict. Yeah. And if somebody indicates to you, like even if you don't have that conversation to, beforehand, if somebody like indicates to you um, that they're not comfortable with something or that they're not having a good time, mm-hmm. just stop. There's mm-hmm. that's the the most important ground zero is that everyone should be having a good time. If someone's just like this, I'm not cool with this. Stop it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Just stop. (laughs) Uh, Brandon or Alpha, I don't know if you have anything you'd like to add to that. Uh, Yeah, no, Michelle, I I, I absolutely love how you've kind of put that. And, and, uh, you know, like at the end of the day, especially coming back to RPGs, like we are there you know, collectively to have a good time, right? And if we get into those uh, dangerous and kind of sensitive areas, people are not going to have a good time. And, you know, it really does spoil the fun. So you absolutely have to respect those those boundaries. And I think that's where, um, you know, it, it's, it's an interesting dilemma, especially as a GM, because you are going to have characters or npcs who are villainous right and they are maybe evil and they have certain motivations but at the same time you have to also balance against you know real world sensitivity to things right just because mm-hmm. you know something can be imagined doesn't mean it should be played out right and and i think right. you do have to have your your filter on um, and, you know, and, and, and that's 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 kind of the dilemma, right? On the one hand, you want to be as free flowing as possible so that you're not constraining yourself. But, you know, definitely you got to use some common sense and you just have to kind of respect uh, people, your audience and 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 things like that. And as long as you stay within those limits, I think, uh, you know, people will receive that positively. And uh, Michelle, you mentioned, you know, tools and making sure that, you know, people understand the boundaries. I also think that that's really important too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brandon, was there something further that you wanted to put to that? Yeah, yeah. So there are, um, and more so recently, there are a number of tools that I I always use and uh, I think should generally be used, particularly for RPGs when there is going to be improv and lots of kind of uh, interaction between PCs and PCs with NPCs and that kind of thing. Um, where it's not just if you know if you're just running into a dungeon and bashing things, then probably there's less of a risk of this kind of thing happening. Um, but as soon as you have any potential for those kinds of things, and even in some dungeons it can be an issue, um, you want to bring in tools like lines and veils or an X card or something like that that makes it so that everybody up front, whether it's in session zero or as part of it, uh, particularly with X card, it's like in the moment you can do it where you can just say, I'm not okay with this, or you know, this is, is okay to happen, but I don't wanna hear the details, or this thing shouldn't happen, period, in our world. Those kinds of things are really important to establish upfront because basically those are going to be the only rules that are getting followed when you're improvising. Otherwise, so, it's effectively fair game. So I, I understand the, the idea of an X card, and, and that's just something that somebody could just play at any time. It doesn't necessarily 
uh, I guess the how the X card is interpreted should be discussed so that everyone knows how to respond when it's played. Um, like, is this just stop and change the scene? Do you stop and discuss it? Uh, can you talk a little bit more about uh, if there's specific ways to handle an X card and a little bit more about lines and veils, please? Sure. Yeah. Um, so X card is basically, and there's a, there's a, I'll, I'll find the article when, uh, when we're, we're um, kind of on someone else here, but um, there's a number of kind of key critical safety tools out there. Um, X card is one where basically everybody has the ability, whether you're in person on video, whatever it is, and literally it could just be like you crossing your arms in front of you, or maybe there's a physical card on the table that you flip over when we're physically together again. Um, but basically it's just a way of saying like, I'm not comfortable with where this story is or where it seems to be going it needs to change, right? It's kind of the same thing that Michelle was saying, where it's like, you know, every, you know, this needs to stop because it's not comfortable or, you know, this might be triggering someone or whatever it might be. Uh, there we go. Dwan's put up the, uh, the X card documentation. Um, and that's a really helpful tool, especially in something like a one shot where you don't have a session zero, you don't have that prep, you don't have a common group of people where someone can just mm -hmm. say, no, I'm not okay with this. Right, um, right. Lines and veils is effectively uh, a line is something you do not cross. So um, for example, one of the most of the campaigns that I run, um, unless it's explicitly asked for by the characters and we have reasoning and, and whatever, there's going to be like, you know, a line of no um, violence towards children, let's say, um, or like babies are only acute, you know, uh, kind of thing that you see in the city, but it's never actually involved with the combat people aren't having babies people aren't stealing baby you know none of that is happening mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. veils is things usually something like maybe torture where it's okay for it to happen maybe in a dungeon or if someone gets captured or something but you don't want to hear it described you don't want to talk about it you don't want to role play it you just want to kind of fade to black mm -hmm. um, or in some cases depending on who your audience is and who your players are um something like um consensual sexual relations mm -hmm. of some kind. Sometimes in some games, that's a line where people just say, we don't want that in our game, mm -hmm. all good. Other times it's a veil where it's like, we do want that to happen, but we don't want to talk about it. We just want to be like, and then they went to the bedroom and it's morning, um, <laughs> where you know it's happening and it's part of the story, but you're not talking about it. That's kind of mm -hmm. the veil versus the line mm -hmm. delta there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, those are some good, uh, very uh, good examples. Um, I want to go to the next question. Uh, and I'm actually going to start this one with, uh, with Michelle, uh, from a player's perspective, and then we'll have two GMs, uh, weigh in. It's going to, it's just a little bit different. How do you encourage players who are shy or perhaps too focused on canon, their backstory setting GM information to participate in and enjoy improv? Michelle, I'm asking you because you are a player and you're an yes. excellent yes, improv. Yes, I'm so, so glad you asked me this too, because the second most important thing of improv is that you shouldn't try to make yourself look good. You should try to make everyone else look good. <laughs> oh, that is nice. the second rule of improv, and it is so important. Because wow. like, we get so caught up in our own little ideas, about how we, how we perceive the world and how we think the scene is going and how we... Like, like maybe we have like a good um, punchline that we want to get in or something, yeah. and we get really caught up on it. Just... If it doesn't happen, let it go. Instead of focusing on like the cool thing you want to say, mm -hmm. think of like who else is in a scene with you who hasn't spoken in a while, or mm. who um, would be really good to bring in right now. Who can I engage with and interact with? If you're going to, let's say you're uh, with the DM and you're role playing a bartering scene and you're trying to get a price down, um, you could try and be the hero and steal the spotlight and get the price down because you're so amazing and awesome because we all want to feel amazing but the better thing to do there is to turn to your barbarian your quiet barbarian friend and say um hey talk to this guy for me like intimidate this person or like you know what to do and yeah. <laughs> bring them into the scene somehow <clears throat> and that's even harder to do over discord because we don't have body language and we can mm -hmm. kind of forget about outside out of mind we can kind of forget about people mm -hmm. um so over Discord, I think the better the the best thing to do there is to like keep track of people's names and like either player or character names and like kind of hand the mic to them in a way and just mm -hmm. be like, um, hey, 
Fizzlepuff, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And, uh, all right, Sorry, yeah. inside joke. <laughs> you, you, you guys are just so good at that in, in the, uh, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, that's exactly it. I, I, I love how you answered that question, Michelle, and I'm, I'm, I'm just grinning because, uh, like, that example that you just gave, like, I just, it, it's, it's just really, uh, I can vouch for what you're saying. I've, I've seen you do it. It's, uh, uh, it, it's, it's, really, it's really powerful. And I'm, I'm excited even just hearing you say this. It, it makes, I, I feel a certain excitement about how much more fun it's going to be because everyone is having fun and trying to have fun together. Um, let's go to Alpha. How, what about yourself? How would you encourage players who are shy or perhaps focused on the backstory? How would you get them to? Yeah, no, this, this is a, you know, I I think the perennial challenge for any role-playing group and, and especially for GMs, especially for, you know, folks in, in, in where, where you, you want to really encourage that, uh, you know, the role-playing because I agree, like not everybody is as comfortable with it. There's always going to be somebody who's you know quite gregarious and, and well-spoken uh, and it's just not going to be this the same as, as someone who is a little bit more reserved but the trick that I, I I do and in fact I very much insist on it I like I um is is that I never use the third person as a GM I'm always speaking in the voice of the character and I'm speaking from an I perspective, right? First person perspective. And it's interesting because there are times in my games when the players are describing what their characters do. So, you know, for example, you know, uh, one person would say, Siona does this or, you know, Cassandra does this, right? But I know when they're really hooked into it, when they switch from that third person language into I do this, this is what I say, right? And in fact, you're not even starting to narrate along those lines. You're very much speaking in the voice of the character. So as much as possible, I try to do that. And I'm engaging people in direct conversation using that first person perspective. And I find more often than not, that is useful at getting other people to get into that mode because it takes them out of that hypothetical situation where they're acting a character and now they're actually playing that one. So that's the trick that I use. That's a great trick and great advice and uh, very effective as well. Um, Brandon, how about yourself? Do you have uh, something to add to that? I think there's only a couple things. So I'm, I'm very much one who purposely forgets my players' names as soon as the session begins. Um, I call on everybody as their character. Yep. Um, and uh, I think the other big one is I take full advantage of the people who want to put themselves out there mm-hmm. and make those the people that get uh, captured or drawn out or whatever so that they basically, um, because of their bravado or they're kind of trying to be the front man get almost taken out of the role play picture temporarily and then whoever has been up to that point playing that kind of supporting role they need to get involved in some way to then kind of bring their party back together so i play less to the kind of individual pcs or individual players getting involved and more to you know, generally, if you have a party of, let's say, five or, you know, if you're crazy like me, you have six or seven players sometimes. Um, and, you know, two or three of them are ta- the ones that are talking all the time. And be like, oh, OK, you're, you know, you're walking through the thing, da, da, da. And you three are now up in a trap somewhere. You've been taken away. The rest of you, what do you do? And they all just kind of look at each other and like, oh, we have to do things now. OK, well, <laughs> let's. Um, uh, so I like to I like to almost put put them on the spot, but not individuals. I like to kind of encourage the uh shared distress that Mm. you know forges all of those friendships we have from university and from sports teams and from all these various things where it's like we all went through this terrible thing but we did it together so now we can we can do anything i I like that the shared distress over having having to respond to a situation in the game forces some improv i like that i like that can i add to that one um if, if, if you don't mind, Sarah, 
No, go ahead. Go ahead. So, so Brandon, that, that just really triggered something. And I, I guess I didn't realize I necessarily did it. But now that you mention it, it is a tool that I use as a GM. And it is, of course, I'm trying to encourage inter- character discourse with regards to what's going on and so that way they have uh you know like a a planning session or or whatever it is that they're talking to but i just realized that one of the things that i do is i kind of start to play devil's advocate and i look for the tensions that are happening between the discourse between the the (laughs) very the various characters right and knowing where those 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 areas are and in knowing that you know there could be different answers there can be different tensions and it, it, it creates different things i actually look to maximize those differentials so that people are really forced to have a discussion about what is it that we are choosing to do and i will mm-hmm. deliberately introduce a uh you know a concept that argues against a certain perspective you know just so that we put it out there and then other people start thinking oh yeah maybe we need to do that right and i, I just do that to be quote unquote quote and and sorry for swearing a shit disturber but um you know like brandon says it it increases those tensions and it it Mm -hmm. adds to the fun so so thanks for reminding me when you have when you have the 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 characters uh, or your players really in character playing the game and you do that you will rouse up a a a much stronger response And, and i think that Often then I think the improv just very naturally happens. Right. It's not even improv anymore because they're just talking, right? They are so into their characters and their characters' perspectives that it's now really happening that they're they're role-playing right along and, and it's actually a very naturally occurring thing. It's not even make-believe or making stuff up. They're just literally reacting as their characters would or, or should. And on that note... We have a request here of panelists to do an example of improv with a scenario fielded from the listeners to show an example. Mm-hmm. Spicy. Are, are, are we doing the clap in? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> clap in. Alpha, I, 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 what do you, what do you say? Yeah, so, so it was interesting, um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, certainly if, if uh, that, that's where we're going to go, I suppose I'm up to the challenge. But I think my answer, the way I approach that, is, is improv within the context of role playing, especially as a game master. And so, from my perspective, improv doesn't happen in a vacuum. And I don't think it's quite the same as, you know, what I would call, you know, what Michelle has, has, uh, you know, participated in where you've got scenarios and it's done on the fly and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you know, given some concept and you just, you know, one, two, three, go and and, and then you kind of have your show. I see improv within, um, you know, a role-playing setting as basically being you know, responding to the the scenarios that are happening and all of that happens within your context, whether it is you as a GM um, helping to flesh out your world a little bit more, uh, you know, show some, you know, other other perspectives or you as a player, you know, acting in that in that player's context. Right. So I don't think RPG role playing, it is at least it is very rarely just completely off the cuff. You know, maybe that will happen, you know, uh, from time to time. But for the most part, you're actually, you know, just um, playing your character or playing your NPCs. So from that perspective, uh, I would generally decline that type of request, but we'll see. Michelle, um, what would you say? I would say, say that, that DD is more comparable to an improv. <laughs> well, I, you know, uh, Whoa, whoa, sorry, my internet just did a thing. What the heck? I would say that D&D is more comparable to like an improv game um, rather than an open scene. Mm-hmm. Um, open scenes, you know, people just get on stage and they're given a suggestion and they act something out. Mm-hmm. Um, role play, there's a background to it, so it would be more comparable to like um, questions only or um, go, where you're given like a rule. And then you, you you go with it. It's a it's a little bit more uh, restrained, which is why I think it's a little more comfortable for people. Open scenes are notoriously difficult. <laughs> You're yeah, just you I, are in a vacuum. 
It, it, it sounds like it would be. I'm just thinking of the two of you right here, and I'm thinking, well, actually, all three of you. Uh, and I'm looking at, uh, I've got uh, Raven Levesque, I've got uh, Kratos, uh, and I've got uh, Acme. And it's, I, I'm just wondering what would happen if those three characters were to meet. Maybe that's our prompt. It could be. <laughs> I'll clap you in. Mm. Five, four. Wait, 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 no, no. We need suggestions <laughs> from the audience for a location. Okay. Wow, we're really uh, doing I want this. People to type it. Type <clears throat> people in. Type it in, people. I want to see suggestions for a location. Yeah, uh, if you could put that in the uh, GM questions, uh, that would be fantastic. If you've already put it in seminar chat, I'll find it. Bus stop. Bus stop in awesome. the seminar chat. Our at a space station. The yeah, because this this relates it. strongly to our, our, our campaign worlds. Yeah, Abandoned crossroads. <laughs> oh, we got a few more coming in. Which ones do you guys like? Hey, we'll just we take just it. Oh my god, they're going it's it's <laughs> bus stop waiting for Let's the intergalactic in. Re- express. So how does These this work, great. Michelle? Do we just go with something, or what's the deal? Oh, yeah, someone... which one do you guys like? Do you want me to pick? You guys, if you yeah, really you, you start. I've never done this before. This should be interesting. Yeah. All right, let's go. Um, I like intergalactic bus stop. I'm a fan of that. It's pretty esoteric, so <laughs> we're going to do that, and um, yeah, we'll count ourselves in. How's it go? How, how, do, how, how do I tap in? Uh, we'll just start counting. So five... Four, Four three, three, two, two one. one. Improv. Hey, dude, where where are you going to next, man? Like, are you going like to SETI Alpha Seven, or you know the Andromeda Cluster, dude? I, I don't know. I just came here and just kind of hanging out. You know what I mean? Because I was just thinking that. We could just kind of, you know, float on up. But that's what I was just coming down over here in this, like, nice little bus stop in the middle of whatever, Sector 6 and Parsec 4. But I don't know any of that stuff, man. Dude, what you doing here, man? I don't know if that would meet with my purpose. You don't need a purpose, dude. You just got to go. You just got to be one with the universe. No, that's something I can get behind. Well, is this going to be What's like a road trip? Strange man. My name. Let's just say... I have no fucking idea. I'm... There goes the swearing. There it goes. <laughs> I have no idea. What an interesting and peculiar name. He seems unsure of himself. Yeah, it's because I just don't generally have an idea of anything. But, you know, that's... You're feeling quite well, sir. I think maybe he has a coma. Or a, uh, what do you call that? Concussion. (laughs) No, I did have a coma, like, the other day. And it was, like, you know, in between the sentences and stuff like that. And it was just kind of in. But then they had, like, the iron lung. I didn't know what was going on. So that's kind of, you know, just me. That's why I'm here today at the station. I feel like you may be not a good example of humanity. (laughs) I will cease my records on you. What is your name? Whoa, wait a second. What do you say? What do you mean I'm not a good example of humanity? Who are you to judge what humanity is, man? That is my purpose. Well, that sounds kind of highfalutin, if I ever heard it. You're welcome to talk to my creators. I think what he means to say is he's one of those justice robots recently created by the intergalactic um, government. No way. Intergalactic. Look, our bus is arriving. (laughs) Oh. All right, all aboard! All, all aboard! Anyone headed to KW Gamers Seminar and Improv, get on! <laughs> See you later, dude! Wow. And scene. And scene. Oh, we got applause! Wow! <laughs> it wasn't my best, but yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, but you know what? I think that it's not about the best, and like it's what you said earlier, Michelle. It's not about you looking the best or being the best that you are getting that amazing line out it's about how can you make everyone else look good and how can you do this together and how can you take what i think there are a couple of things that kind of slipped in there that uh do you mind if i just go off oh please yeah 
Um, a couple things uh, is like say anything is I would call it rule number three. It's my rule number three. Is mm-hmm. if you're struggling, just say anything, uh, um, because it could become something. Um, there's also a, a method, not as common in D and D, but it's still something you can do is this idea of character painting, which is where you endow traits onto another character to kind of build the world. And I know the world building is mainly the DM's job, but that doesn't mean the players can't have like any agency in that. So like I just said, intergalactic, uh, used what, what information I had and just said, uh, justice robot for intergalactic government. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is actually, that is actually something. Yeah, yeah, and I it, I think it works really well too, particularly in in uh, in D D and in in kind of RPGs in general. If you allow, uh, kind of enable a space where the PCs can actually kind of help each other build up their mm-hmm. characters, especially the quieter ones, where if they're being quiet, you actually they can actually often kind of assign that as part of their their role and then they take that on a little bit more so it's almost mm-hmm. it you know you can you can take advantage of the folks who are more comfortable doing that and have them also kind of help their fellow players along because it's not it's, it's hard if the gm is the only one introducing pieces of the world pieces of the npcs etc and you really don't want to put pieces of character onto the pcs but as the party it's almost a little more uh, intuitive for them to do that because they mm-hmm. are already working together as this team and it makes more sense for them to kind of do mm-hmm. that for sure. Yeah, and, and I wanted to comment on something that that, that you said, uh, Michelle, um, you know, kind of that, you know, the GM is kind of primarily the person who's supposed to introduce and, and kind of set scenes and stuff like that. But I'd, I'd like to believe that, that the best games are actually the ones where it really is a collaborative storytell, right? And yes, you know, there is a broader story going on, but your players are absolutely part of that. And I know that there's a, you know, a lot of folks actually who are on the call who actually favor the games that are very collaborative in in their their development and so we had a session on play by the or powered by the apocalypse and some of these other systems and it's actually built into those games where it's not the D, the gm telling the story at all it's actually all the players get together and they kind of say oh you know bus stop and intergalactic and uh you know apocalypse or whatever it is and you literally create that as you go along and even come up with like you know the names for companies that you are in your you know your 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 cyberpunk game or something like that right so it can absolutely be a co-creation of everybody that's involved but obviously there are plot elements that your gm is going to adjudicate so uh, it's interesting to kind of see those games and I'm playing them more and they're, they are challenging, but they're also a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah, I, th- I think that uh, is getting into our next question about what game systems do well at encouraging or allowing for improv and why. So Alpha, I think you've uh, you've identified uh, Powered by the uh, Apocalypse there. I'd, I'd like to, maybe we'll come back to you, but I'd like to go to uh, Brandon next and uh, and see what he has to say. Yeah, sure. I think um, a lot of the, and there's a whole family of games that are actually uh, kind of inspired by, run by, built on the PBTA um, core mechanics. Um, And I really like kind of branching from there. That one very much has moves where, in all of the games that I've seen, where some of the moves are like, tell me about this thing that you know about the world, and you actually introduce that into canon. and I actually used that in uh, so D&D 5e. Um, I actually have a rule in all my campaigns. And if it's a kind of a longer one shot, usually I'm interested to two, which is I know a guy or I know a gal or I know a toad or I know a whatever, insert creature, person, et cetera, here, where um, if you need to do something or want to get something or whatever, you should be like, oh, no, no, I know a guy. And then that player who says they know a guy has to actually create the the guy faction, the company, the person, the mm-hmm. whatever that is going to enable them to do this. And then they roll to see, you know, how well do they know this person or is this person now, you know, they 
made them angry a while back or whatever, right? That That is kind of where the rest of the agency comes in. But you can really have people quite easily engage and create pieces of the world in any system. One of the ones that I really like that for actually is um, Quest because it is so rules light that oh you can do so many things with it mm-hmm. and you can invent and create so many things. And literally it is almost 90% a descriptive game. So there's the mechanics kind of get out of the way and you can just tell a story, uh, I uh, just which is really, played, really great. I just played that recently uh, for the first time. And uh, one of the players just did an amazing job of improv. I felt like, I felt like this was a fully fleshed out um, person. It was just a one shot. It was, it was pretty amazing. I get what you're saying about that. There's a lot of uh, freedom in, in that. Uh, Quest is a, was a really delightful game. I, I, I'd, uh, I'd second that from my experience. Uh, Michelle, do you have um, uh, any anything to add on that about uh, what games are especially good for it or uh, a different take on what's been said? I think and she Michelle, had some uh, connection issues, actually. She was saying that I she was dropping. I think I fixed it. Oh, there you go. I think I fixed it. What did I miss? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was just asking you if you have, um, well, you missed uh, Brandon's great answer on uh, uh, Powered by the Apocalypse. Jay, will have to and, listen back on it. Yeah, you'll, yeah. Uh, so basically, basically, he was talking about how uh, the, the players themselves can um, uh, bring elements into the game and, and uh, you know, even roll for it or whatever. And he introduced uh, uh, Quest as also a very rules-like game uh, that really depends a lot on the, on, the, on the players to bring information into the game. Uh, and uh, just wondered if you had anything further to add about games that uh, really help to stimulate uh, the improv uh, aspect. Yeah, I'd say the more rules light the game, uh, the typically typically that's better for um, players actually participating in world building and bringing in elements and saying things like, I know a guy or I know this location like a coffee shop or a bookstore or something. Mm-hmm. Um, or a Costco we can hide in, or whatnot. Um, <laughs> Fancy Costco. Rules-heavy games like um, like like D and D Fifth Edition. Um, typically, typically the players are improving more just in their interactions with each other, um, and the elements they're adding are. I don't want to say inconsequential, but basically anything that wouldn't already have a mechanic. <laughs> If that makes sense. Yeah, that's fair. So it's like, oh, they're not going to be like, oh, I found a long sword on the ground. But if they fail a perception check, they might be like, oh, I've got something caught in my eye. You can <laughs> add little bits of flavor into it. Yeah, okay. Well, I, I'm thinking, um, just speaking for myself, I think I've thrown a few things, um, I, I've thrown a few things out there that uh, had uh, some effect, like in uh, Golden Glory, and I, I had Siona invent the Kabama virus, and... Uh, Yep. That was just kind of like we need something here quick. Okay. Well, this virus. <laughs> it was uh, it was near the beginning, but uh, Alpha, to your credit, you uh, you did that yes and thing, and then it came back to haunt us in a in a pretty big way. But um, turned into something very interesting too. So yeah, I, I think that there's um, it it depends on how structured your table is as well, how how structured your uh, your your group is of, uh, about how the game is played and how open it is. Uh, and I and I guess that if you're playing a, a custom world build, you're going to have more opportunity to be able to say yes to those things than than if you are playing a defined campaign. Yeah, for sure. And and it kind of goes back to Michelle, your uh, you know the convention. I mean, just just take what you're given, right? And mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, Sarah, you talk about that particular you know scenario, and you know, it absolutely was not anything that I had planned, right? It came right out of the blue, and it was hmm. your character who kind of brought it up, but you know. It and it just became incorporated, and now it's a very significant part of the story. And none of that was planned, right? And those are the moments that I, as a GM, I love. And I have there's another example where someone, you know, they, they wanted a certain type of NPC to be there and they wanted to talk to a Modron. And I didn't have a pre made character, but I just kind of went on stereotypes and came up with a thing. And now it's everyone's favorite NPC, right? So those, like, I really, I love when that kind of spontaneity happens. And it, it is definitely something that's not limited to the GM. It's absolutely something that happens with, with the players. And so what 
I wanted to add to that is, you know, we talk about more rules heavy uh, systems and I'm, I'm going to plug for D&D here. Um, I think where players can really have a big impact on, um, you know, the narrative and, and things that are going on and, and give that, that, that other sense is to, you know, describe things that are very unique to your character. So, you know, just because the world you know, describes what a fireball is doesn't mean you have to, uh, you know, describe your fireballs in that way. Maybe it's like plunging a sword into the ground and then there's an explosion of purple flame or whatever, right? So you can spin it uh, your your way and then as a GM, try to encourage your players to say, what does that look like to you? How do you describe your spell? You know, what are you doing with your movement type of thing? To take it, you know, beyond just the mechanics of what you're you're describing the care to do but to actually make it something alive that becomes meaningful and over time as people settle into those roles and settle into those characters they just want to kind of play with it even more and it becomes uh, you know part of that that ongoing flow of the game so yeah so next question I'm going to point this one to uh, Brandon um, what are your tips for GMs who are very control oriented how can you encourage them to loosen up and embrace improv? <laughs> um, I think my, my answer to that also ties into what uh, Alpha was just saying, um, which is very much asking your players, um, like if, if, if you as a GM or someone as a GM finds it very difficult to do that, if they're kind of heavy prep, this is the canon and this is how it works and da da da, it's a super easy ask to have them ask the players, what does that spell look like? Or how do, what does this attack look like? How did this work? Things like that. Because there's so many times and places and, and experiences that you can provide your players with that. Like what, one of the campaigns that I run, someone wanted to be a bard that had a bunch of tinkling mirrors all over their dress, but they also wanted to be able to rip them off and throw them at people. Um, <laughs> and mechanically, uh, I think I made them darts or something. I forget what it was, but something that kind of made sense. But really the whole purpose was like, okay, I want to dress this way. I want to look this way. I want to have this thing and I want to do this with them. And then my role as the GM in that case, and really the role I see a GM in always is just enabling the player's creativity, Absolutely. whether it's the backstory they've produced, whether it's how they want to attack things, what they want their spells to look like, whatever it is. The mechanics can live in the background and for, you know, in, in my case, at least I would be totally fine if my players just had no idea how any of the mechanics works and they were just sitting as a thing that enabled my descriptions of the world that their players are experiencing. I would be totally fine with that. Um, so, you know, if you have a necromantic necromantic caster, let them make all their spells slightly green tinged and make people vomit a little bit. Sure, done, why not, right? It's not going to impact anything other than you getting a better sense of their character. And I think right. that's the big thing to remember, like give them the opportunity to plant those seeds. Mm -hmm. I think that also goes into the other, another question we have here about that encouraging players to improv while still maintaining the specifics of the game world. So by encouraging the players to um, maybe be able to improv a little bit about uh, how what their actions actually look like. Uh, it still takes place within the context of the rules of the game that hold hold a boundary, hold hold things together, so that uh, you know that we all understand what events are occurring and what can happen. Uh, it just might look a little different, right? Um, yeah, Michelle, totally, hundred percent. Yeah, Michelle, do you have anything uh, further you'd like to to add to that? To what you just said. To any of the, the tips about uh, helping GMs who are control-oriented to help them to uh, encourage them to loosen up or embrace improv, improv or to maintain the specifics of, specifics of the game while improv is happening? Oh, oh that's hard. Um, I know, you, players, I'd say, is one thing. It mm -hmm. is is because uh, I feel like if you're if you're having trouble letting go and letting your players uh, do things because like it's not in the rules or if you have that kind of control problem, it typically happens because you don't trust not trusting your players to like not abuse the rules or mm -hmm. um, the leeway that you're giving them. Mm -hmm. um, even if you're 
even if you're like playing with a new group or something, trust people. Give them the benefit of the doubt, um, and that will kind of help a little bit, I think. Mm-hmm. I Alpha. Alpha, do you have anything that you would like to add to that? Yeah, um, I I was going to say, I I mean, you know, joining a new group or being a GM, uh, you know, uh, with a new group, it it is, it's it's a challenging thing. And sometimes it takes a while to kind of find your groove or to find the right group. And, you know, for every player who, you know, is, is, uh, you know, prefers having a little bit of structure and, uh, you know, uh, precision around the rules, there's going to be a GM out there who, you know, prefers that style as well. Um, you know, and obviously the converse is, is true. You're going to have GMs like myself and Brandon who are much more comfortable. And, in I would even say for me, like I barely know the rules at all. I'm also, I'm often asking the players to clarify what the rules are for me. Right. So, um, I guess what I'm saying is that, you know, have patience, know that you're not always going to kind of of, you know, find the perfect mix when you're you're getting into one shots in, in new groups. But you know, uh, enjoy yourself and and uh, you know have fun with everybody else. And eventually, you're going to find the group uh, that works for you or the GM that works for you. I don't think that there's any you know magic bullet and there's no right or wrong. I think it's just a question of personal preferences and and, and the styles that you like. And I think you tend to gravitate towards the players and the games that give you the most enjoyment, right? And not everybody mm-hmm. is a is, is is um, a natural role player, right? And you just have to, yeah. you know, accept that. Yeah, yeah. I think no, one I think other thing I could add mm-hmm. on the parts of both the DMs and the players is that mm-hmm. if you're un- if you if you feel uncomfortable because you don't want to step on people's toes or because you don't do improv a lot, is you can always do the thing where you like ask a question. Um, so rather than saying, um, I rather than saying like um, I go into the forest and I look for a really sharp stick, you can ask the dm can i do this mm-hmm. or can i look for a person that looks like this i want to look for do i see anyone that looks um tall or uh particularly tiny or like the most insecure person in the room or whatever right uh, it, because it kind of takes away that pressure of like this is what i'm doing and you can't stop me um and kind of makes it like a, and kind of makes it like a is this an okay thing to do and then yeah. you know the dm can say like okay uh well either they'll make a check or the dm might just be like yeah there's a person in the room that looks like they're very uncomfortable yeah yeah actually i it's really like that me. <laughs> i really like that because uh I, I know when you ask those questions you're going to do something that's probably pretty interesting <laughs> So it, and I think it makes the DM go, oh, well, what, why are you asking? Like, what is this about? And I think that that uh, puts on the DM a bit of, uh, you know, interest in, and, and, and something uh, exciting that, that, that could happen, again, coming from the players. So I, I think that's a really great, uh, a, a great thing to add. Um, Michelle, I, you mentioned earlier about, um, like, challenges with, uh, with doing uh, improv on Discord. I do feel that it is more challenging. Uh, you did also talk a little bit about uh, the KW Improv Group continuing on through the Discord. If anyone listening is interested in um, finding out more about that group, could you just uh, say a few words about um, how to find them or, or what it would be like to if they're open to new members and that sort of thing? Uh, yeah, the one I'm part of is uh, the University of Waterloo Improv Group. Uh, I can send a link to their Facebook page. Um, mostly students in there, some alumni. Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll, just, I'll send a link to the Facebook page, and if people are interested, they can take a look. Okay. Okay. No, that's that's great. I think that we're all hoping that uh, that things will open up again um, in the not too distant future and we'll be able to uh, to do some of this more face to face in the interim uh, very much appreciate uh, your uh, actual improv experience and tips that you brought to today's session I, I thought there were a lot of uh, great uh, comments there great discussion from everybody I, I, I really uh, I thought this was a very interesting session um, so I would like that we're closing in on uh, nine o'clock here I'd like to thank everyone uh, for uh, for attending tonight and for your questions uh, in in the post uh, as well uh, and our next uh, GM seminar will be on horror and the supernatural, a pinch of eldritch horror, a dash of X-Files, and a touch of mystery. 
that's only scraping the surface of what it takes to run a great game in the horror and supernatural genre. Everyone likes a good scare now and then. Learn from these masters of the mac macabre on how to super your supernatural. Hopefully I said that correctly. Um, yeah, watch for that coming up on our next uh, uh, KW Gamers uh, KW Gamers GM seminar. And thank you again, everyone.